You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Hi all, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It's Wednesday the 21st of February. Tom Stanley in for Nick and plenty to get through in, in today's show, which in the main is going to centre around the Grand National Weights, which were revealed yesterday. The trainer of the now favourite is Gavin Cromwell. The horse Vanillier has a big old swing with last year's winner, Corat Rambler. Gavin joins me now and, well, first up, how's the horse, Gavin? Yeah, Tom, I suppose you can see where the, where the angle is coming from. Um, 10 stone 8 um, listen we'd be happy with that um, he's fine but, but listen, he hasn't put in a, a decent run yet this season um, at home I'm happy with him I suppose conditions haven't really suited him so far um, he's in the Bobby Joe on Saturday so hopefully um, he, can, he can put in a good run there and uh, then it'll be all roads towards entry and I guess uh, like you know, running in at the weekend then he'll get to Aintree. That'll be his fifth start of the season. I mean, it's not as if you've wrapped him up in cotton wool. No, he's he's a very difficult horse to get fit. Um, he had a little bit of a setback and he was a small bit um, late coming back into us. And, you know, he's, he's a year older and he, he gets quite heavy and um, it just takes a lot, of, a lot of time and a lot of work to get him fit. Um, so... Listen, I think we're getting there, um, and Saturday is going to tell us a lot. And would you say, sort of, off the back of his run last year, you know, mentally, I know you say he's a difficult horse, but is is he? He's the same horse. He's not. There's, there's not sort of any anything new you've learnt about him this year, is there? You you know him. He's a what is he now? He's a nine year old. Are there any more surprises with him or not? No, there's not. There's not. Um, but listen, I, I suppose um, last year it was a great run, but we did get every bit of luck in running to um, Sean off to go around the inside, and um, he had a very clear passage all the way, and obviously staying on real well in the finish. Um, you know, and, and I think we need, we need to get that again to be competitive. Um, but I am happy with the weights. I thought I thought he would have more off the back of being second last year but I suppose his, his five runs this year haven't haven't been up to much but um, yeah Will you put cheek pieces back on or are they staying off? I'd say we definitely will put something on to try and, okay. to try and aid him yeah. um, help him travel but you know he's just very slow Yeah I hear you anything others that you might be running the race let's be clear about it Limerick Lace Melina Girl Yeah um, look Limerick Lace is is going to go to the mayors and Cheltenham, and we'll see after that. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be ruling out. Um, Melina Girl, I'd say she could be touch and go whether she'd get in, but the, the plan would be to run. Um, um, and then let's be clear about the, the plan is to run. He does need to run in Chelten- Cheltenham to qualify for it to be his sixth run. Um, which is a lot of race and a lot of it's a, a lot of runs, uh, but we're happy with him at home. And, and um, whether the trip is going to stretch him, that remains to be seen as well, you know. So, um, um, but the plan is to run. 
And obviously, you had yeah, man at the at the weekend who was successful. Congratulations there! It feels like you've 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 run more horses in handicaps over here or this year, or perhaps you've just won more. I don't know, but has it been a conscious effort to do that this year, Gavin? Yeah, I didn't start out the season, Tom, with that intention. But we 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 spotted a couple of races at the October meeting in Cheltenham um, for Florian Porter and and uh, my mate Mozzie and forty grand novice chases and I just thought these races look um, potentially a weaker contest than a beginner's chase would in Ireland and we went across and, and it's, I suppose it kind of opened our eyes to, to opportunities and um, it just we just kept going from there Good stuff Gavin thanks ever so much for your time and um, yeah it seems a way off but, but good luck in the big one in April Thanks Tom National weights then Rishi what what caught your eye? Anything that made you uh, sit up in astonishment, or, um, or or just anything that you didn't quite expect, or, or was it all as expected? No, new, nothing to see here. Um, nothing that was uh, going to knock me out, um, but a few things that I, I, I had particular interest in. Um, obviously, one of the things that Martin Greenwood speaks about is the fact that he didn't really compress the weights. There was no need to, and I like the idea that. His philosophy is one of, uh, I'm not going to tinker with it unless it's absolutely necessary. I like that. I prefer that. It feels a bit more congruent to the relative merit of all the horses. Um, Obviously, Hewick, top weight, 169, carrying 11 stone 12. Last year's won a Corrick Rambler on 159. Um, He won last year off 146. Tiger Roll. When he won it for the second time, he won it off a mark of 159, which is what Korak Rambler will race off uh, in this year's uh, Randolph's Grand National. Uh, obviously, Vanillier is, the na- is a new favourite. That's the horse that a lot of people fancy. He's obviously much better off of the weights of Korak Rambler. He's on 10.8. Uh, the one that's catching my eye is a former winner of the race who actually didn't run too badly in the race last year. Um, that's Noble Yates. He was obviously... Um, he a winner of the race off a mark of one four seven. He'll be racing off one six five this time, but he was a pound higher last year, and he wasn't beaten that far. He was just over eight lengths behind Karak Rambler. If you read the form through that, then he's got a great chance. Um, and if he can just reproduce what he did over hurdles last time out in terms of his abilities, enthusiasm, and his desire for the game, then I wouldn't completely rule him out. And I like three under through five. I like the way he won on the weekend. Um, at Ascot, uh, I think he saves a little bit for himself. I actually think the test will suit him at Aintree. Uh, I think decent ground will suit him as well. And ten thirteen, he's got. I would be interested in him. Um, bigger task for one or two others. I think Nasalam eleven four. That's a bit of a, a question for him after what he did. Uh, it was expected, obviously, he was going to get a hike after winning the Welsh National as he did. But uh, yeah, the two for me would be uh, Noble Yates and three under through five. I particularly like Noble Yates. Uh, we're going to hear from Josh Moore, and Nassalam, who, who you mentioned soon enough. Just on the, the race as a whole, I mean, there is, as we have come to expect, as we knew was going to be the case this year, Rishi, particularly with the reduction to 34 runners, already Irish dominance prevalent in the race. I mean, does does that bother you in any way? Do you not care where they hail from, what yard they they, they hail from? Or is it just it's just a different beast now? Well, it doesn't bother me any more than the current state of British 
racing compared to Irish racing racing <clears throat> at the moment because it's quite simple in my eye. The Grand National over the years has become a better race. It's become uh, a pretty classy race in terms of the, holo- the the quality of horses that end up making the final field. And where are the best chasers trained, the best hurdlers, the best horses? The majority of the better horses are trained in Ireland. So it's automatic, therefore, that for a race like the Grand National, the majority of horses, because of the quality of the race, it are, are going to be based in Ireland. I think if it was a if it was not as good as it is now and maybe go back uh a few years um you know what is it 20 25 years ago and the race perhaps not quite as uh as as full of quality horses as it is now then you might have you might still have a, a decent sized british representation but you know just as an example i think everyone will know by now that of the 34 horses who are the top weighted horses in the race as things stand right now only seven are trained in the uk well that that makes perfect sense if you'd been following racing in britain and ireland over the last decade you know that the best horses are in ireland so therefore the horses that are higher up the handicap are going to be majority are going to be in ireland so it doesn't surprise me but it just adds to another element to try and understand what can be done to change it but I had a conversation with a few people today about it, uh, Tom, and you know, it, it's a lot. It seems as if there's more of a growing recruitment element. How a British trainers recruit their horses, it needs to. They need to adopt. They need to probably study what Willie Mullins, maybe Gordon Elliott, but certainly what Willie Mullins has done in acquiring the the level and the numbers of horses that he, in terms of quality, that he gets now. And that he's able to he's able to access. It's it's a world away from what um, the British, the majority of British uh, trainers owners are able to do. Well, assistant trainer of the the highest rated British horse is Josh Moore, who joins me now. That is Nassalam, and uh, yeah, just before we came on, you were pointing out to me he's two pounds higher than last year's winner, which. Um, well, are you, are you are you understanding and happy enough with the the weight he's got? No surprises, no. Uh, I'm not surprised by the weight he's got. It's uh, it's obviously doesn't seem quite right when you're two pound higher than last year's winner and last year's impressive winner. But you know that's the way the season he's has been successful. So he's he's ended up with that weight and ends up with that rating, and that's the weight he's got. So uh, yes, I'm not surprised by the weight and. I'm I'm just always surprised quite round as two pound raised two pound lower than him. But. Yeah. yeah. I, I I hear you and um I mean is he a horse that started off this season, did you sort of start working back from the national, or has he surprised you that you found yourself here, if you see what I mean? Um he, it's a, it's a, he surprised us in that he's really really found his form again this season. He we, we started him off in the uh, in the in the Sefton, he jumped well around there. He had a good trip, but he was a bit. He was also a bit. We weren't we weren't delighted with the way he ran. He, we, we pleased he jumped around there nicely. Um, he he ran okay, but he was just lacking lacking a bit of something. And obviously, we we then took him to Chepstow for the Welsh National Trial, put the blinkers on him, and it, they seem to have worked. Um, I think he's now free from free and blinkers. Last season he was a bit disappointed, but I wouldn't. I would ignore last season completely because he is a horse that needs slow ground 
and last winter was a very dry winter and he was a second season chaser first season he was a four-year-old going chasing so he was getting all the allowances and he, he had a good season which ended up him being badly handicapped so he was running in a lot of big handicaps last season with a lot of weight uh, with not really ever under his conditions so um, this season so far he's had the conditions and he's capitalised on it so far <clears throat> he's only seven isn't he like he's you know he's definitely got age on his side and I guess from what you're saying is the sort of would the concern come April be that it came up good ground is that just not him yeah you know it's, it's a concern but I don't think you'll ever you'll ever see a national run on good ground you're, again you're or absolutely right you won't definitely quicker than right I mean the Mr Frisk he's a he's a definite national record holder he's going to keep that forever I just assume because every time I've ridden an entry in the past obviously I've never ridden in the national but when I've walked around the ground is always perfect there you would you would run any horse on it and it probably it wouldn't wouldn't be the ground on national day on on the track wouldn't he ran there last year it's not to his liking it's not where he excels but it's nice safe ground and um it, you know you, you might get a, you might get a slow ground national i think remember the year dave mullins won it or i can't remember the name of the horse it, it was yeah. very soft that year you know so you, you, it, you, it can go softer I actually think you're like more likely to get soft ground than you are good ground anyway. So mm. I wanna I wanna say rule the world in the quiz. I wanna say rule, rule the world, the world but I might be it. wrong. Yeah. Um yeah. and he's and is he Keelan Quinn's ride? Is that just he gets obviously gets on well with a horse or is that a decision to be made? Yeah, no, he's Kaelin's ride. He he's uh obviously he rode him first start of the season over the national fences, so he's already had experience of him around there and he's they've they've got on well so far this season, obviously since Jamie's been retired. Mm. Caden actually got the ride when Jamie was off injured, and we wanted to claim off him in the in the Sefton, and he 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 got on well with him, and he, he rode him well in the national trial, and and the national went even better. So um, the Welsh national it is, and so he, he will definitely keep the ride. I feel that's a good op- or an opportune moment for you to have a line on your your brother having retired at the back end of last week. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, I, I feel for him because I think the game retired him rather than he retired from the game. You know, it's just, uh, it's he he's, he wanted to keep doing it, but he knows that he couldn't be putting the body for it anymore or putting the family for it anymore. He's got three lovely kids and a wife, and you know they're they're always. I I can only imagine they didn't enjoy watching him ride anymore because you're kind of thinking, oh, what's going to happen. You know, he's but he's he's got out and he's 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 safe and happy. So um, he can keep trying for the next part anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now yeah, I'm sure you were touched by the outpouring that you've had when when you know you weren't coming back to riding and and, and that which he've had a, a, as well. So um, it's certainly been touching to see all the all the outpouring from 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 all quarters. Um, just on on the the winner at the weekend, Botox has is is, is it Cheltenham? No, or is it just unlikely? Uh, it's Cheltenham unlikely. I think we're, we're mainly looking to go Grand National Day at Aintree in the Stays Hurdle up there. It's, would be a, a race that would suit him. I think, although he's won grade twos around Fontwell and Cheltenham, I actually think he's, his best form has been on the flat tracks at Haydock and Weatherby. Um, so he, he seems to like them flat tracks more than he does the others he all, as I say all, he, all, even though he's got 
good form on tracks like Cheltenham and Fontwell, which are quite. I always thought Fontwell, you, you race quite a lot downhill. So, uh, but he he seems to have taken to the flat tracks well. So, I wouldn't write him off from Cheltenham, but I would say he's more likely to be going to Aintree in April, and he, he may run again this weekend at Fontwell in in the Ooh. National Spirit Hurdle. A race he won before, mainly because it's heavy ground, and he seems to have come out of Saturday very well. So he's a possible, possible, possible runner at the weekend. No, yeah, just eight days on. Interesting. Well, I suppose he did win pretty comfortably, didn't he? Um, I should have asked you if Nassalam is going to run again before the national. I mean, he's he's in the Gold Cup, but is that is that not going to happen? Uh, that'll be a weather dependent. He he would run in the Gold Cup if it's very slow ground. Uh, it's not. A, I'm not sure whether we're running him before the national or whether we're going to go straight there. But um, the Gold Cup's very much a possible. Uh, not, not, not. We're not setting setting our stalls to be running in that anyway. Yeah, but if it came up very testing, you might give it a look. It's quite likely. Yeah, okay. obviously very testing. You, do, you know, the, the, the national is the target, but so we don't want to be giving a hard time in the Gold Cup before that so um, we shall see if he runs before it or not um, You've got another nice juvenile for, for Steve Packham it seems in the form of Peking Opera is he running at the weekend? Uh, I think so yeah he, he worked nicely this morning um, he he won quite well at Sandown first time up obviously he was receiving a lot of weight um, but he you know it was a very slowly run race there was no pace in it and I feel like he was doing his best work at the finish um, he would have he, I think he's improved since then so ho- hopefully he, he runs on Saturday and puts up a good performance because um, he, he, he will come have come on a lot for the run at Sandown mm-hmm. his first time out at home he seems to have developed from it and um, you know he'd be he, I, I think he'd have a big chance I just, just, I just hope the ground isn't too heavy I, I, and, and I guess if he wins you know if he goes and, and runs really well in that the triumph is on the table uh, yeah exactly you know he, he needs to be running winning or running a big race on Saturday to be going to the triumph I think yeah and uh, Le Patron is he is he lining up yeah possibly you know if if, all, if he's scopes well and bloods are good we'll, we'll run him uh, he he would be suited by the heavy ground the last day at Sandown it perhaps dried out a bit too much for him because he is a slow ground horse um, and he never really got into a rhythm the last day um, so we we'd like to think that if he gets testing ground and obviously Nickelback went off a right gallop hmm. at Sandown he probably he got them all at it and I think it took a lot of them out of their comfort zone but hopefully on heavy ground Nickelback isn't able to do that on Saturday if he runs um, and he you know he, he's, he's actually come out of Sandown very well so ho- hopefully he put off a be- better performance than he did uh, last time out anyway Josh appreciate your time for the, the thorough update on all those horses and um, yeah all the best ok take care bye so Josh, they're touching on uh, obviously his Grand National runner and um, and the the weekend where you know he could be well represented in the the Adonis and also the Pendle. Which race this weekend catches your Irishes? It's, it's it is always a, a sort of nice 
weekend before as we're, we're in the throes of Cheltenham preview season this is this is always a weekend with a good bit of quality in it at Kempton and elsewhere yeah yeah no Kempton I like the look of quite a few of the races obviously assuming that a number of the horses uh take their position and keep the depth of field that we might have for the race like say the Adonis um if Calif de Burle lines up against Gimme Five and Peking Opera Swift Hawk um, I don't know who else might go, but um, Calif de Burley, I'm not sure Paul Nichols sees him as a you know, two-mile hurdler, really. I think he believes that the horse is going to be a three-mile chaser down the line, um, but he was pretty impressive on his on his British debut. Um, he's obviously sticking to two miles in the Adonis on the weekend. I hope he wins just to keep the, the dream alive that he might be something pretty special. But Peking Opera, you know, you look at the fact that he seemed to be learning on the job at, at Sandown on his on his hurdling debut and he was quite highly rated, maybe slightly inflated because he made the pace on a couple of occasions for the Aidan O'Brien team. But I think he's he's obviously very interesting for, for the Gary Moore team. But uh, I'd like to see Calif de Burley uh, win and win well. I like the look of the pendle, assuming that Nickelback runs in it. Um, at you know, obviously very impressive at Sandown. Really, really good that day. He's quite an exciting horse. What a season it's been for James Best and a great day for Sarah Humphrey when he won. Um, but there's a horse in that race that's got a couple of entries, Tom. Blow your wad. Uh, he could run in handicap or he could run in the pendle. He's two from two at Kempton. Uh, whatever race he runs in, I'm probably going to back him because I think he's. you can forgive his last run. He's much better than that. Um as I said, he's got a good record. He won over hurdles and he won a race at um, over fences at Kempton. I think he enjoys it. He's still a young horse. I think he's still got upside and improvement. So whichever race that Stan Shepard and Tom Lacey end up deciding that this is the race for Blow Your Ward, I'll be interested in that. Excellent. And the other race the word upside with Blow Your Ward. Carry on. <laughs> and the, the other race that I'm interested in is the Dovecut. There are a number of horses in there that I have followed for, for the season. I've really uh, taken a shine to, and I'm hoping that they have big futures. I mean, obviously, Gibby Five, for example, has entered in a couple of races on the on the weekend. I'm not sure. I think he probably, I imagine he'll go for the uh, for the Adonis, but he's also in the Dove Cut. But in the uh, Dove Cut, there's Secret Squirrel, who I like. Um, I think he should have won last time. Um, I don't think um, things quite worked out as well as it should have done for him i think he's better than that but the other horse in that race that i really really think could be good is lump sum of sam twiston davis and sam thomas's um he ran behind jericho de repone last time at doncaster and he'd won his first two races over hurdles and he'd won them easily and the doncaster race was the first time that he had to really work uh, over hurdles and i i, I watched watched him in the home straight again and he looked at this just simply as if he was a bit at sea and when he was asked to, to quicken up and go uh with jericho to rep fiercely proud and just looked like he wasn't sure what was expected and then he sort of knuckled down late on and was picking up so i'm like, expecting a more professional horse um and i'll be really interested to see how he's come forward from that in the dove cut and i i, I really hope he wins I, I think there's something something special about him you know what level he'll get to i don't know but i certainly think he's better than well, I think he's got official rating of 130 at the moment. I think he's better than that. Well, you may have seen that three new members have been appointed to the Horse Welfare Board. Uh, Seleka Varma, Robin Mounsey and Kate Sigsworth, who's the Deputy Chair of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, who, who joins me now. Kate, welcome along. Um, 
I'm sure you're, you're delighted with the appointment. Hi, Tom. Yes, I am. Um, I think probably like most people that work with horses in any form of equestrianism, my first love isn't racing, it's actually the horse. So to be involved in a board like this where you can actually give a little bit back. I, I've, I love horses and I've had a great life um, working with them and living with them and to be able to give a little bit back is something that I'm, I'm really keen to do. And I'm looking forward to, to sitting on a board that's independently chaired and also has industry expertise uh, to help help the decisions be made and see what, what where we're going and what we can do. So obviously there are huge you know the, the sport has challenges ahead um from a sort of welfare accountability point of view it's something that um you know we've touched on on the podcast and we know the sport is constantly working on what what, what does the the horse welfare board challenges ahead of it does it has and and, and what can we expect to be done yeah, there's always going to be challenges in the sport. Um, so any, any question is in sport, particularly now more than ever. Now there's um, so much social media about it. It's so easy for everybody to form an opinion and actually voice their opinion and have it heard. So uh, the Horse Welfare Board, it's independently chaired and it's a cross-industry board. So it's it started in 2019, this concept, and um, it works with the industry to ensure British racing has the highest possible welfare levels. So 26 projects were identified to help British racing continually improve all aspects of horse welfare across the industry, not not just racing, sort of aftercare and pre-racing. So the projects were published in February 2020, so they've been on the go now for four years, at the launch of the sport's five-year strategy, and it was called a the document was called A Life Well Lived, which mm. I'm sure most of you have heard of, even if you're not familiar with it. So it works ongoing in all the priority areas, which are safety, data, traceability and aftercare. The Horse Welfare Board is made up of an independent chair, Barry Johnson, who is a vet, um, and he's also involved in World Horse Welfare. Tracy Crouch, who's an MP, she brings brilliant insight, partly because she isn't horsey, so she can ask questions, and we think it's quite obvious why we're doing that, but actually to an outside person, it's not always entirely obvious. But also she gives us a line of thought of how MPs are thinking and sort of the direction they're moving in, but also takes the information back of where we're moving and how we're trying to improve things. Then there are two members from the thoroughbred group, which I, I take one of those chairs, two members from the Racecourse Association and two members from the BHA. And you need that industry expertise because actually you need to know something about it to know where we can improve things. So we're funded uh, predominantly by the Racing Foundation and the Horse Betting Levy Board. So since the inception, we've had over 3.5 million to progress the welfare projects from a life well lived strategy from the Racing Foundation and 2.2 million of funding from HBLB, the horse betting and levy board for which we are incredibly grateful but it, it's a real industry effort is this it's very important that we get on board not only as an industry do we want to do what is right by the horse but also it's really important that we're seen to be doing what is right by the horse and so um a project that we've done that's probably quite close to my heart we've done a horse census so actually um trying to find some of the horses that have moved away from racing and have second careers now and um, that we've lost data touch points with and that's been really insightful so that's just been finished and we will report on our findings 
buildings in the second quarter of this year. But what's quite interesting is a lot of these horses get lost because people don't know that they're supposed to register if a horse changes owner and if it changes location and when they vaccinate that they use the e-passport that we actually have a data touch point and we know where that specific horse is. As far as the outside world's concerned, they're very concerned um, that we don't know where all racehorses or all horses that are born intending to race are and so this is a really important one is that Kate would you say would that from your from your role at at the TBA and all the work you do there that I guess is you know something that you are quite passionate about that you can track a horse's life not I guess not just from from birth to end of racing but from birth to end of life yeah Exactly. I know. I actually sat on um, the ROR board as well until I became a Horse Welfare Board member. And it's purely just time why I I stepped down from the um, retraining of racehorses board. So ROR have set up... um, their strategy they've set out their three-year strategy last month and actually one of the really interesting things in there that they're trying to do they're trying to do a retrainer approval scheme which actually as an owner and a breeder is of real interest to me so they're developing a framework to assess retrainers and rehomers so for it possibly wouldn't apply so much to people that are horsey, but there are lots of owners that aren't particularly horsey. But if these uh, retrainers and rehomers have have approval, we know what good looks like. And somebody who possibly isn't particularly horsey can go there and think, well, actually, the industry's looked at these and they they to say these are provide good retraining and good rehoming services. Um, and the thing we're doing to try and sort of track horses earlier on. All six-year-olds, and this will start. This is the first year we've done it this year. So any horse that's got to six that we have lost contact with, so they were, they did the thirty-day foal notification, so we know that there was a live foal, and then they just disappear. So there's loads of ways that they track them. So they're registered for a passport. They're registered when they go into training. They're registered if they go to sale. If they have a vaccination, all these various things, and these are horses that have just disappeared out of the system. And for the TBA, we're we're really interested to know where these go, where these horses go. So this is sort of a joint project between Horse Welfare Board and the TBA, and we're going to look and assess every year where these horses go. Early indications would suggest quite a few of them are deceased and people haven't actually registered them properly. So part of the follow-on from that is the TBA have actually produced a leaflet and it was printed in the Owner Breeder magazine to remind owners of their responsibility to register horses when they're deceased, to register changes of ownership, changes of location, all those sort of things, change of use. So when they stop being a racehorse and they become a broodmare, to, to register it as a broodmare. So this, we're hoping, will help us have a far better understanding of where horses are and where they go and where they drop out. And just to remind owners that actually you you have a responsibility. It's not just your responsibility to physically look after the horse. There's a clerical responsibility as well. Kate, lovely stuff. Really appreciate your time. Thanks ever so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. As Kate was saying there, Rishi, for the the, the Horse Welfare Board, I, I think the, you know, the one that really sticks out for her, the, the one point of the, the life well lived. And, and I think for a lot of us is, is the, is not just the aftercare, but where horses go when they are no longer racehorses. And, yeah. you know, it's a, 
it's a subject which you know, I'll, I'll sometimes have people ask me, you know, what happens to all the horses when they don't race anymore? And I feel like I can't give a concrete answer. And I feel uncomfortable with that sometimes. And it's, and you know, it's pretty clear that the, the horse welfare board are there to, um, to be as transparent as possible, which I thoroughly mm. welcome. And it'll be interesting to see the results of this census. Yeah, I think that's, I think the census is terrific. I, I, um, I, I'll declare the fact that as a trustee of the Racing Foundation, that obviously the Racing Foundation provides funding to the Horse Welfare Board, um, but as a as a member of, of the Racing Foundation, but also a racing fan and someone who works in the sport like you do, I want to have more of an idea um, about what happens to the horses when they retire. Now, like you, people ask, and I have an idea about what happens to some horses. I have an idea that we have, you know, retraining of racehorses. We have the horses that, you know, through the Godolphin work, for example, um, they get other opportunities. Um, and, and trainers generally are pretty good at trying their best to find homes for horses as they retire and they look for another life. But we can't account for them all. The census that Kate refers to, um, which was launched in the summer last year to improve traceability, um, that is going to try and ascertain the, uh, the, the, the the details of horses across the board. So we will be able to do, uh, we, you'll be able to call upon the census or call upon the data from that census. We'll have the knowledge of all these retired racehorses. So we'll know for sure that these horses are being cared for. We'll know what will be happening to them. And if there if there are any concerns at all, they will be brought to light, and they can be dealt with rather than it gets found out by some uh, illicit mean and then exposed. And there's some sort of you know, as if racing doesn't care. At least racing's taking the opportunity to show that they actually do care, and it's not just you know word of mouth or you know people saying they they do care. They're actually doing something about it. It's tangible. Uh, I think the results of the census are going to be coming out. Uh, uh, shortly, certainly in the first quarter of this year. So um, all good work. Uh, so, you know, I think Kate, Salika, Robin, good appointments as well for, you know, with the vast experience that they've all had uh, in their various roles in the industry so far. Um, hopefully it, it adds to the to the richness of the Horse Welfare Board. And um, I'm looking forward to, to being more confident about the evidence of how we look after our horses. Right, it's Wednesday. Here's the latest from Hong Kong with Jim. It's an important weekend coming up in Hong Kong. We see the running of the Group 1 Hong Kong Gold Cup at Sha Tin over a mile and a quarter, 2,000 metres. This is a different cup to the Hong Kong Cup run at the world-famous international meeting in December. Let's make that clear. But it's the same track, same distance, though a little lighter in total prize money. This one is worth £1.3 million. All that said, we could have the same winner. Romantic Warrior, who scraped home by a short head from Luxembourg in the race in December, which was a fine follow-up from his famous win in the Cox Plate in Melbourne in October. J-Mac, James MacDonald, is back in Hong Kong to take the ride, as Zach Purton has picked up the ride on Voyage Bubble, last year's Hong Kong derby winner, who comes to this off the back of a victory in the Stewards' Cup. He's in great form. That's at the weekend. Today we have nine races at Happy Valley and it's a pretty interesting meeting. 
I'd say the most interesting race is in race four. Number three, Sun Pak Fu can win this uh, class one race over six furlongs. Sun Pak Fu is a fantastic horse. He's won six of his 19 starts so far, and all six have been over course and distance and Happy Valley over the six. Sun Pak Fu, he starts from barrier number two. He'll be ridden by Jerry Chow, his regular rider. He's been aboard for all 19 of his races and he knows him extremely well. They get on particularly well, and I think they can go in again. Race four, number three, Sunpak Fu, to beat number eight, Tomodachi Kokoru, to be ridden by Karis Teton. Later on, a good thing in race number seven, number 12, Red Hair King, who's a really nice type. He's trained by uh, Tony Cruz and to be ridden by Alexi Bedell. That's race seven, number 12, Red Hair King, take him in a tote swinger with number nine, Lovero, or Lovero, whichever you like. So 12 and nine in race number seven. That's all on the Hong Kong Beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Right, Wednesday, so our normal uh, pointing section that is brought to you by Thoroughbid. A reminder that the Thoroughbid February sale catalogue goes live on Wednesday. That is today's podcast, so check it out for the February sale. And also worth saying that any pointers sold in the sale are eligible for the £5,000 point to rules bonus, provided they haven't previously run under rules. Ben Atkins is back with me, and that conveniently, Ben, brings us to the winner of the Walrus at the weekend, who was a thoroughbred purchase bought for just 15000 Yeah, um, quite remarkable. Um, another very good value horse bought through thoroughbred uh, Spyglass Hill. Um, won and, um, yeah, bought for fifteen grand and has gone one eight on his first start. So uh, pretty good stuff. There's a very interesting little story developing about the, the, a young trainer of that, of that race winner, Tom, if you'd care to listen. Yeah, go on, hit me, hit me. <laughs> so this is this so, is um, Regan Regan yeah, Palace. My... Regan Palace. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, twenty three years old. Um, unbelievably, this is his first runner. Um, so uh, look, he, you know, he's done his homework. He's done it. He's had his uh, he's had his education. He was at Peter Bowen's at fifteen. Uh, then went to Nicky Henderson's for five years. Uh, riding some nice horses during his time. Uh, Chantry House being one of those. Um, and um, yeah, he's been with Christian Williams since I think he went there at the start of this year, um, maybe the start of the, the, the previous one. Um, so yeah, they bought this horse off, uh, off Thoroughbid. Believe it or not, the horse has been living at Jack Tudor's parents' farm. And, uh, you know, um, Regan's been mucking him out before work and riding him at his lunch times. Um, and uh, he's not seen a gallop since the day he was bought. He's been uh, trained nearly exclusively on the beach. And uh, won really nicely at the weekend and we'll go straight to Aintree. So remarkable story and um, and well done, Reagan. And a, and, a, and a live chance at Aintree or, or too early to say? I would say it's too early to say. I wouldn't like to hang my hat on that particular. Just give me an Aintree preview. That would be great, Ben. Thanks. <laughs> um, sure. Fine. And another um, points to rules winners as we, we're talking about. Oh, yeah, we've been. There. There've, yeah. There've been loads. It's not just we don't go one way here in the UK now. We, we we don't just go rules to points for older horses. What what have we got points to rules wise? So um, we've had quite a glut of winners recently, really. Um, we over the weekend had uh, Who's Your Daddy um, 
trained by Sandy Thompson and written by Ryan Manuel winning. And Arctic Row um, has won two times now up at air for, for Nick Alexander. Um, and uh, the more kind of notable, perhaps more perf- um, impressive performers, Royal Infantry um, has definitely been the best prospect of, of recent times. And he's won two in a row um, for the Skeletons, latterly the uh, listed bumper at Newbury. Um, and um, just today, in fact, we've had two winners that started their careers in, in point to point. Um, no questions that asked. Uh, won the, the the bumper today at um, Market Raisin uh, very nicely for Ben Pauling, who, who can't stop banging in bumper winners at the moment, it would seem. And Doyen Quest won for the Skeletons today at Taunton as well, or yesterday, I should say, at Taunton. Um, and, uh, yeah, beautifully prepared for his maiden um, pointing by Tom Weston, very unfortunately unseated on the running when the saddle slipped at Maysmore. Um, both horses have gone on and, be, and, and proven themselves under rules, so it's, it's really pleasing to see. Another horse um, who we actually uh, mentioned in relation to the walrus, but um, ran for the first time at Taunton um, yesterday is a horse called Macklin, um, ridden beautifully by Will Biddick, uh, mentioned on last week's slide, as I said, and um, it was his first start under rules and he looks a very progressive horse so yeah uh, um slowly but surely we're proving that there's um a lot of a lot of very good talent that's coming from the british pointing field and, and getting the job done under rules time as far as, as horses that that you know do go i guess the more conventional way though um we, we're talking about it with kate sigsworth on the podcast today and you know after racing after sort of rules racing, what happens to these horses? You know, there is there is still a, a healthy amount and successful amount of horses that that go on to to win from their rules careers and and have successful careers as pointers. Oh, absolutely! Um, I remember being somewhere last uh, last summer, early summer, and um, pitching up somewhere and, and seeing Dunacos run. You know. Um, and there's there's loads and loads of examples wherever you go pointing um, any weekend, you'll probably see a few nice horses coming back the other way. And it's it's great. It gives a lot of, of, of horses that have either lost their way under rules or just got a little bit older or just maybe lost that little bit of toe um, a chance at a second career. If they're still enjoying their racing, it gives um, it gives them something else to do and their owners and connections um, or new owners and connections uh, a, a great bit of fun. You know, a nice example. Um, coming up this weekend, actually, where uh, Babington Bob, who was owned and trained by Ian and Anne Hamilton, um, is now in the care of Laura Fennick, who um, will ride him uh, up at uh, Annick at the weekend, who worked for, for the Hamilton, still does, and has had a lot to do with his rules career. And in his later life, um, you know, uh, Babington Bob's gone back uh, to live with her at home and she's training him um, out of her mum's place and, and will ride him. Um, in a point to point at the weekend so there's lots of very nice stories like that where horses are being being given a second chance and 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 like you say it's um it's a really important part of the of the horse welfare puzzle to um give these horses as much longevity as we possibly can and i know you wanted to mention alice stevens who was still riding winners pointing up until about a year ago but but now doing very well as a, a conditional for henry daly yeah, absolutely, Tom. Um, look, my my job here is to to promote all the things that are good about pointing, and um, and it's certainly the case. It's more and more growing evidence that um, that starting your uh, career as a jockey in point to points is a brilliant education and a very good grounding. Uh, the statistics uh, bear that out. But 
Um, yeah, Alice has had a, a flying start as a conditional jockey. Um, I believe it's Henry Daly that holds a conditional jockey's license, although she's she's ridden some nice winners for Harry Darren recently as well. Um, look, she's had 28 winners under rules already. Uh, she's a brilliant judge of pace from the front. Um, she is incredibly strong in the finish, and you know she's had a she's had a fantastic education in pointing. Um, you know, looking back on on socials. And, and having been there myself, she was still riding point to points in, in March last year um, for uh, Charlie Post and Fran Nemo Station Yard and, and for Kelly Morgan and some others as well. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a classic example of someone who started out pointing, had a really good grounding, um, learned a lot and then and then really making a good fist of it under rules. She was a, a close second and a third in the big handicaps, handicaps at Ascot at the weekend. And uh, I think she's got a very, very bright future. Ben, lovely stuff as ever. Thank you. Don't forget the catalogue for the Thoroughbid February sale live Wednesday. So head there and check it out. Thanks, Tom. You got a tip, Rish? I do have a tip, Tom. Good. Um, I'm going to Kempton on the all-weather. It's the big one. It's the European road to the Kentucky Derby. Ah. Condition stakes. You know the big one. Yeah. Um. So, obviously, Charlie Appleby and William Buick have a short price favourite in the race. Um, that's a notable speech. He was really impressive when he won first time up at Kempton. But I'm going to go against him uh, with a horse called Solomon, who is trained by William Haggis, ridden by Tom Marquand. If you remember, a very, very good horse um, of William Haggis's called Solcombe that was eventually sold to us, actually placed in the Melbourne Cup back in November. Um, he is a half-brother to Solcombe. He probably needs further than a mile already, but he got beaten first time up by Queen of Zafine at Southall. She's won since and won very well. She could be a smart horse. And then he won at a very short price when he won at Southall again, uh, stepping up to a mile. I just thought that at the prices, the discrepancy in the prices between the two horses, I think he's about eight to one, Solomon. And notable speech is two to one on. I, just, I, I didn't think that's right. And I thought Solomon was a, a solid bet. Certainly, I, I, I'll see him finishing in the first two. So I can see myself playing him each way. Or I'm hoping that he might even be able to beat Noble Speech. Rishi, thank you very much indeed. Thanks to all of you for, for joining in, all the guests today. I think Nick Luck is back on the Nick Luck Daily tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he will be landing in Saudi, where I am very soon, ahead of the Saudi Cup and hosting tomorrow's podcast. So you'll hear from him then for Wednesday, the 21st of February. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs.